Chapter 18 Bring the rest of my property up here, Pris ordered J.R. Isidore. In particular, I want the TV set, so we can hear Buster's announcement. Yes, Ermgard Batty agreed, bright-eyed like a darting, plumed swift. We need the TV. We've been waiting a long time for tonight, and now it'll be starting soon. Isidore said, My own set gets the government channel. Off in a corner of the living room, seated in a deep chair as if he intended to remain permanently, as if he had taken up lodgings in the chair, Roy Batty belched and said patiently, It's Buster Friendly and his friendly friends that we want to watch, is. Or do you want me to call you J.R.? Anyhow, do you understand? So will you go get the set? Alone, Isidore made his way down the echoing, empty hall to the stairs. The potent, strong fragrance of happiness still bloomed in him. The sense of being, for the first time in his dull life, useful. Others depend on me now. He exulted as he trudged down the dust-impacted steps to the level beneath. And, he thought, it'll be nice to see Buster Friendly on TV again, instead of just listening on the radio in the store truck. And that's right, he realized. Buster Friendly is going to reveal his carefully documented sensational expose tonight. So, because of Pris and Roy and Ermgard, I get to watch what will probably be the most important piece of news to be released in many years. How about that? he said to himself. Life, for J.R. Isidore, had definitely taken an upswing. He entered Pris's former apartment, unplugged the TV set, and detached the antenna. The silence all at once, penetrated. He felt his arms grow vague. In the absence of the baddies and Pris, he found himself fading out, becoming strangely like the inert television set which he had just unplugged. You have to be with other people, he thought, in order to live at all. I mean, before they came here, I could stand it being alone in the building. But now, it's changed. You can't go back, he thought. You can't go from people to non-people. In panic, he thought, I'm dependent on them. Thank God they stayed. It would require two trips to transfer Pris's possessions to the apartment above. Hoisting the TV set, he decided to take it first, then the suitcases and remaining clothes. A few minutes later, he had gotten the TV set upstairs. His fingers groaning, he placed it on a coffee table in his living room. The baddies and Pris watched impassively. We got a good signal in this building, he panted as he plugged in the cord and attached the antenna. 
when I used to get Buster Friendly and his... Just turn the set on, Roy Batty said, and stop talking. He did so, then hurried to the door. One more trip, he said. We'll do it. He lingered, warming himself at the hearth of their presence. Fine, Pris said remotely. Isidore started off once more. I think, he thought, they're exploiting me, sort of. But he did not care. They're still good friends to have, he said to himself. Downstairs again, he gathered the girls' clothing together, stuffed every piece into the suitcases, then labored back down the hall once again and up the stairs. On a step ahead of him, something small moved in the dust. Instantly, he dropped the suitcases. He whipped out a plastic medicine bottle, which, like everyone else, he carried for just this. A spider, undistinguished but alive. Shakily, he eased it into the bottle and snapped the cap, perforated by means of a needle, shut tight. Upstairs, at the door of his apartment, he paused to get his breath. Yes, sir, folks, the time is now. This is Buster Friendly, who hopes and trusts you're as eager as I am to share the discovery which I've made, and by the way, had verified by top-trained research workers working extra hours over the past weeks. Oh, ho folks, this is it. John Isidore said, I found a spider. The three androids glanced up, momentarily moving their attention from the TV screen to him. Let's see it, Pris said. She held out her hand. Roy Batty said, Don't talk while Buster is on. I've never seen a spider. Pris said. She cupped the medicine bottle in her palms, surveying the creature within. All those legs. Why does it need so many legs, J.R.? That's the way spiders are, Isidore said, his heart pounding. He had difficulty breathing. Eight legs. Rising to her feet, Pris said, You know what I think? J.R., I think it doesn't need all those legs. Eight, Ermgard Batty said. Why couldn't it get by on four? Cut four off and see. Impulsively opening her purse, she produced a pair of clean, sharp cuticle scissors, which she passed to Pris. A weird terror struck at J.R. Isidore. Carrying the medicine bottle into the kitchen, Pris seated herself at J.R. Isidore's breakfast table. She removed the lid from the bottle and dumped the spider out. It probably won't be able to run as fast, she said. But there's nothing for it to catch around here anyhow. It'll die anyway. She reached for the scissors. Please, Isidore said. Pris glanced up inquiringly. 
Is it worth something? Don't mutilate it, he said wheezingly, imploringly. With the scissors, Pris snipped off one of the spider's legs. In the living room, Buster Friendly on the TV screen said, Take a look at this enlargement of a section of background. This is the sky you usually see. Wait, I'll have Earl Parameter, head of my research staff, explain their virtually world-shaking discovery to you. Pris clipped off another leg, restraining the spider with the edge of her hand. She was smiling. Blow-ups of the video pictures, a new voice from the TV said, when subjected to rigorous laboratory scrutiny, reveal that the gray backdrop of sky and daytime moon against which Mercer moves is not only not Terran, it is artificial. You're missing it, Ermgard called anxiously to Pris. She rushed to the kitchen door, saw what Pris had begun doing. Oh, do that afterward she said coaxingly. This is so important, what they're saying. It proves that everything we believed... Be quiet, Roy Batty said. Is true, Ermgard finished. The TV set continued. The moon is painted. In the enlargements, one of which you see now on your screen, brush strokes show... And there is even some evidence that the scraggly weeds and dismal, sterile soil, perhaps even the stones hurled at Mercer by unseen, alleged parties, are equally faked. It is quite possible, in fact, that the stones are made of soft plastic, causing no authentic wounds. In other words, Buster Friendly broke in. Wilbur Mercer is not suffering at all. The research chief said, We at last managed, Mr. Friendly, to track down a former Hollywood special effects man, a Mr. Wade Courteau, who flatly states from his years of experience that the figure of Mercer could well be merely some bit player marching across a soundstage. Corteau has gone so far as to declare that he recognizes the stage as one used by a now-out-of-business minor moviemaker with whom Corteau had various dealings several decades ago. So according to Corteau, Buster Friendly said, there can be virtually no doubt. Pris had now cut three legs from the spider, which crept about miserably on the kitchen table, seeking a way out, a path to freedom. It found none. Quite frankly, we believed Courteau, the research chief said in his dry, pedantic voice, and we spent a good deal of time examining publicity pictures of bit players once employed by the now-defunct Hollywood movie industry. And you found? Listen to this, Roy Batty said. Ermgard gazed fixedly at the TV screen, and Pris had ceased her mutilation of the spider.
we located, by means of thousands upon thousands of photographs, a very old man now named Al Jari, who played a number of bit parts in pre-war films. From our lab, we sent a team to Jari's home in East Harmony, Indiana. I'll let one of the members of that team describe what he found. Silence. Then a new voice, equally pedestrian. The house on Lark Avenue in East Harmony is tottering and shabby, and at the edge of town, where no one except Al Jari still lives. Invited amiably in, and seated in the stale-smelling, moldering, kipple-filled living room, I scanned, by telepathic means, the blurred, debris-cluttered, and hazy mind of Al Jari seated across from me. Listen, Roy Batty said, on the edge of his seat, poised as if to pounce. I found, the technician continued, that the old man did in actuality make a series of short fifteen-minute video films for an employer whom he never met. And, as we had theorized, the rocks did consist of rubber-like plastic. The blood shed was ketchup, and, the technician chuckled, the only suffering Mr. Jari underwent was having to go an entire day without a shot of whiskey. Al Jari, Buster Friendly said, his face returning to the screen. Well, well, an old man who even in his prime never amounted to anything which either he or ourselves could respect. Al Jari made a repetitious and dull film, a series of them, in fact, for whom he knew not, and does not to this day. It has often been said by adherents of the experience of Mercerism that Wilbur Mercer is not a human being, that he is, in fact, an archetypal superior entity, perhaps from another star. Well... In a sense, this contention has proven correct. Wilbur Mercer is not human, does not, in fact, exist. The world in which he climbs is a cheap, Hollywood, commonplace soundstage which vanished into Kipple years ago. And who, then, has spawned this hoax on the Saul system? Think about that for a time, folks. We may never know, Ermgard murmured. Buster Friendly said, We may never know. Nor can we fathom the peculiar purpose behind this swindle. Yes, folks, swindle. Mercerism is a swindle. I think we know, Roy Batty said. It's obvious. Mercerism came into existence. But ponder this, Buster Friendly continued. Ask yourselves what is it that mercerism does? Well, if we're to believe its many practitioners, 
The experience fuses. It's that empathy that humans have, Ermgard said. Men and women threw out the soul system into a single entity. But an entity which is manageable by the so-called telepathic voice of Mercer. Mark that. An ambitious, politically-minded, would-be Hitler could... No, it's that empathy, Ermgard said vigorously. Fists clenched, she roved into the kitchen, up to Isidore. Isn't it a way of proving that humans can do something we can't do? Because without the Mercer experience, we just have your word that you feel this empathy business, this shared group thing. How's the spider? She bent over Priss's shoulder. With the scissors, Priss snipped off another of the spider's legs. Four now, she said. She nudged the spider. He won't go but he can. Roy Batty appeared at the doorway, inhaling deeply an expression of accomplishment on his face. It's done. Buster said it out loud, and nearly every human in the system heard him say it. Mercerism is a swindle. The whole experience of empathy is a swindle. He came over to look curiously at the spider. It won't try to walk, Ermgard said. I can make it walk. Roy Batty got out a book of matches, lit a match. He held it near the spider, closer and closer, until at last it crept feebly away. I was right, Ermgard said. Didn't I say it could walk with only four legs? She peered up expectantly at Isidore. What's the matter? Touching his arm, she said, You didn't lose anything. We'll pay you what that... What's it called? That Sydney's catalog says. Don't look so grim. Isn't that something about Mercer, what they discovered? All that research? Hey, answer. She prodded him anxiously. He's upset, Pris said, because he has an empathy box in the other room. Do you use it, J.R.? She asked Isidore. Roy Batty said, of course he uses it. They all do, or did. Maybe now they'll start wondering. I don't think this will end the cult of Mercer, Pris said. But right this minute, there are a lot of unhappy human beings. To Isidore, she said, We've waited for months. We all knew it was coming, this pitch of busters. She hesitated and then said, Well, why not? Buster is one of us. An android, Ermgard explained. And nobody knows. No humans, I mean.
Pris, with the scissors, cut yet another leg from the spider. All at once, John Isidore pushed her away and lifted up the mutilated creature. He carried it to the sink, and there he drowned it. In him, his mind, his hopes drowned too, as swiftly as the spider. He's really upset, Ermgard said nervously. Don't look like that, J.R. And why don't you say anything? To Pris and to her husband, she said, It makes me terribly upset, him just standing there by the sink and not speaking. He hasn't said anything since we turned on the TV. It's not the TV, Pris said. It's the spider. Isn't it, John R. Isidore? He'll get over it, she said to Ermgard, who had gone into the other room to shut off the TV. Regarding Isidore with easy amusement, Roy Batty said, It's all over now, Is. For mercerism, I mean. With his nails, he managed to lift the corpse of the spider from the sink. Maybe this was the last spider, he said. The last living spider on earth, he reflected. In that case, it's all over for spiders, too. I don't feel well, Isidore said. From the kitchen cupboard, he got a cup. He stood holding it for an interval. He did not know exactly how long. And then he said to Roy Batty, Is the sky behind Mercer just painted? Not real? You saw the enlargements on the TV screen, Roy Batty said. The brush strokes. Mercerism isn't finished, Isidore said. Something ailed the three androids. Something terrible. The spider, he thought. Maybe it had been the last spider on Earth, as Roy Batty said. And the spider is gone. Mercer is gone. He saw the dust and the ruin of the apartment as it lay spreading out everywhere. He heard the kipple coming, the final disorder of all forms, the absence which would win out. It grew around him as he stood holding the empty ceramic cup. The cupboards of the kitchen creaked and split, and he felt the floor beneath his feet give. Reaching out, he touched the wall. His hand broke the surface. Gray particles trickled and hurried down, fragments of plaster resembling the radioactive dust outside. He seated himself at the table and, like rotten, hollow tubes, the legs of the chair bent. Standing quickly, he set down the cup and tried to reform the chair, tried to press it back into its right shape. The chair came apart in his hands. The screws which had previously connected its several sections ripping out and hanging loose. He saw on the table the ceramic cup crack. 
Webs of fine lines grew like the shadows of a vine, and then a chip dropped from the edge of the cup, exposing the rough, unglazed interior. What's he doing? Ermgard Batty's voice came to him distantly. He's breaking everything. Isidore, stop! I'm not doing it, he said. He walked unsteadily into the living room to be by himself. He stood by the tattered couch and gazed at the yellow-stained wall with all the spots which dead bugs that had once crawled had left. And again he thought of the corpse of the spider with its four remaining legs. Everything in here is old, he realized. It long ago began to decay, and it won't stop. The corpse of the spider has taken over. In the depression caused by the sagging of the floor, pieces of animals manifested themselves. The head of a crow, mummified hands which might have once been parts of monkeys. A donkey stood a little way off, not stirring and yet apparently alive. At least it had not begun to deteriorate. He started toward it, feeling stick-like bones, dry as weeds, splinter under his shoes. But before he could reach the donkey, one of the creatures which he loved the most, a shiny blue crow fell from above to perch on the donkey's unprotesting muzzle. Don't, he said aloud. But the crow rapidly picked out the donkey's eyes. Again, he thought. It's happening to me again. I will be down here a long time, he realized. As before. It's always long, because nothing here ever changes. A point comes when it does not even decay. A dry wind rustled, and around him the heaps of bones broke. Even the wind destroys them, he perceived. At this stage, just before time ceases. I wish I could remember how to climb up from here, he thought. Looking up, he saw nothing to grasp. Mercer, he said aloud. Where are you now? This is the tomb world, and I am in it again. But this time, you're not here, too. Something crept across his foot. He knelt down and searched for it, and found it because it moved so slowly. The mutilated spider, advancing itself haltingly on its surviving legs, he picked it up and held it in the palm of his hand. The bones, he realized, have reversed themselves. The spider is again alive. Mercer must be near. The wind blew, cracking and splintering the remaining bones, but he sensed the presence of Mercer. Come here he said to Mercer. Crawl across my foot or find some other way of reaching me. Okay, 
Mercer, he thought. Aloud, he said, Mercer! Across the landscape, weeds advanced. Weeds corkscrewed their way into the walls around him and worked the walls until the weeds became their own spore. The spore expanded, split, and burst within the corrupted steel and shards of concrete that had formerly been walls. But the desolation remained after the walls had gone. The desolation followed after everything else, except the frail, dim figure of Mercer. The old man faced him, a placid expression on his face. Is the sky painted? Isidore asked. Are there really brush strokes that show up under magnification? Yes, Mercer said. I can't see them. You're too close, Mercer said. You have to be a long way off, the way the androids are. They have better perspective. Is that why they claim you're a fraud? I am a fraud, Mercer said. They're sincere. Their research is genuine. From their standpoint, I am an elderly, retired bit player named Al Jari. All of it, their disclosure is true. They interviewed me at my home, as they claim. I told them whatever they wanted to know, which was everything. Including about the whiskey? Mercer smiled. It was true. They did a good job, and from their standpoint, Buster Friendly's disclosure was convincing. They will have trouble understanding why nothing has changed. Because you're still here, and I'm still here. Mercer indicated with a sweep of his hand the barren, rising hillside, the familiar place. I lifted you from the tomb world just now, and I will continue to lift you until you lose interests and want to quit. But you will have to stop searching for me, because I will never stop searching for you. I didn't like that about the whiskey, Isidore said. That's lowering. That's because you're a highly moral person. I'm not. I don't judge, not even myself. Mercer held out a closed hand, palm up. Before I forget it, I have something of yours here. He opened his fingers. On his hand rested the mutilated spider, but with its snipped-off legs restored. Thanks. Isidore accepted the spider. He started to say something further. An alarm bell clanged. Roy Batty snarled, 
There's a bounty hunter in the building. Get all the lights off. Get him away from that empathy box. He has to be ready at the door. Go on. Move him.